All right, I'm going to try this again. Let's do it. Welcome to the podcast. In and through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim Elmore, and I am the senior pastor at Memorial Baptist Church, Stratford, Ontario. And my name is Marshall Morton. I'm the associate pastor at NBC in Stratford. Yes. I am. For a year now. For a year. Yeah. Yeah, my anniversary has come and gone. I'm in the thick of it now. You're you're the real thing. Yeah, we were, we were talking about whether or not, you know, I'm still a rookie or or not. If it works that way, like in sports where after your first year, you know, have you have you moved on from that or is it different with Pat? Yeah, so you're no longer eligible for rookie of the year. No. Is what you're saying. I guess not. <laughs> How did the voting go last year? Um, well, seeing as I was the only rookie, I think it was I was a shoe in, at least around here. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> All right. So we are gonna finish up Ezekiel. Mm -hmm. Uh, This week's reading is going to leave us wanting for the last two chapters of Ezekiel, but it's fair to say that the last two, the last 10 chapters of Ezekiel are all pretty much a bundle. Yeah, I think Uh, so. And so there's nothing really to pull out of the last two chapters in particular that wouldn't be very much a similar theme to the last. So we're we're just going to wrap it up nice and tight. And that buys us a little more time to talk more about Daniel next week. Yeah, I'm really excited to get into Daniel. Yeah. I don't know why. I've just been looking forward to Daniel for... Like months, like as long as we've been doing the prophets, like that's the one I'm like, oh man, I can't wait. Nice. There's just so many good things there. I'm just. Mm. But before we get there, yeah. Last half of Ezekiel. Hmm. Forest. Yeah, forest. Um. Tearing down, and building up. That's right. So this is the second time we're recording this because last time I completely shuffled all of my prophets up. Yeah. But this reminds me. Okay. Of Jeremiah. Okay. When the God, when the Lord tells them that there's going to be a tearing down and a building up, mm-hmm. right? And it's going to be through the word of Jeremiah that that's being done. Uh, and Ezekiel shows us what that's going to look like exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, you know, this week's reading, the, the front half is tearing down very yeah. much so. Uh, but we get that hope of the building, the building back up that God's going to do in the back half. In great detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Painfully great detail sometimes <laughs> this this is for all of those people who are who are sitting there going you know what i miss i miss the talk about the tabernacle mm-hmm. i miss the measurements of the tabernacle and what everything was going to be built from those were the good old days of the reading plan for those of you for those of you that are in that camp and i know there are many of you <laughs> this week is yours this week, this week you get, you get the benefit of both the prophecies of who's being destroyed and the tabernacle. Yes, the 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 great group of architectural, you know, experts and and connoisseurs are gonna are gonna love this. Right, I'm not among them, but that's that's okay. We have some we have some insights, anyways. Right. All right. So uh, the tearing down of the building up. Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna to have to get into the trees. What are the what are the things that we come across? Uh, last week we talked about the fact that uh, Ezekiel, mm-hmm. like Jeremiah, mm-hmm. maybe even more so in some ways, not the most family friendly read. No, not really like after dinner devotion with your toddlers kind no. of a read, uh, and that is painfully true. As we open this week's reading, it really is. Yeah, so we we read we we. Read this week, 
of two sisters. Yes. Ohola and Oholiba. I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that correctly. I assume. Just say it with conviction and people will think you get it right. That's right. <laughs> as long as you, as long as you've been to Bible college or seminary yeah. and you say it with conviction sure. and with speed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so these two sisters are representative of northern southern kingdom of Israel. Mm-hmm. Right? What ended up being Samaria and Judea. Mm-hmm. And uh and these uh two young ladies have not been behaving themselves very well. No. So the last time we get an example like this, we have uh God talking about how like you were abandoned, orphaned, and I raised you up. And I and it's a very wonderful thing that he talks about. Mm-hmm. It doesn't end well. It ends with the whole, like, and then you prostituted yourself out. Oops, wait, that's an unfair statement to the prostitutes. <laughs> um, but in this, in this instant, not only does it bring in the sort of uh, whoring language that Jeremiah and Ezekiel have as a thread running through them, and even more than the prophets than that, right? Like, it, that is a, a, throughout the prophets, that is an analogy that God leans on very heavily. Um, but it gets graphic. Sure. Yeah. Like yeah. Song of Solomon graphic. Um, and the depiction of, of how it is they made themselves available to the nations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is, I mean, it's using this graphic language but to represent like very, very real and terrible sins that, that these people were involved in, mm-hmm. right? Like th- these nations, they were, they were sacrificing their own children and then going into the Lord's sanctuary, mm-hmm. right? Like this is what they're doing in the presence of God is they're not just worshiping false idols. They're sacrificing their children to these idols. And, you know, what do you, what do you expect is going to come out of that, Right. God's like, well, well, like this is what they're doing. Of course, judgment is coming. Yeah, yeah, and and not only a judgment coming upon them, but those people that God uses to exercise that judgment are also the hand of God, mm-hmm. and they need to acknowledge that God has brought them up to do this work against Israel, but they don't. Mm. They say look at this place that I have built, which is the condemnation that God is going to bring on them. Uh, and for that, they will also be destroyed for not acknowledging uh, who God is. And and we've got a number of places uh, that are going to be destroyed mm-hmm. and turned over. Yeah, seven different kingdoms, which, you know. Hmm. Hmm, seven. I've heard that number. Hmm. Yeah, so so one of the most uh, vehement attacks uh, that we get is uh, in regards to Tyre. Yeah. The Prince of Tyre. Yeah, and, and let me just say this in the prophecy against Tyre. The, the language used to describe how desolate they will be is pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Like at one point in 26, he says, I'm going to wipe you so flat you will be a place for the spreading of nets. Now, th- that might not be the sort of thing that you sort of jump on instantly and go, oh, wow, that, ooh, a good one. But think about it. Like, nets are designed to tangle. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. And so, if you were someone who had just come off of the fishing boat, 
and you needed to dry out your nets, you'd look and be like, oh, look at this flat place. This nice flat place here with for nothing for my net to tangle on. Mm-hmm. Smooth. Mm-hmm. When I'm done with you, your cities will be such a place that people will say, this is a good place to dry a net. Mm. Nice and flat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and God is calling out the ruler of Tyre for setting himself up as a god. So in Ezekiel 26, you know, it talks about how, um, you know, you have said that you're a god and, you know, because of all the splendor and wealth and riches and, and that, you know, that this nation has accumulated. But, but then he says in verse 9, will you still say I'm a god in the presence of those who kill you? <laughs> Though you are but a man and no god in the hands of those who slay you? You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Yeah, so last week we talked about how much Ezekiel says, you'll know that I'm God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that is true for Israel uh, throughout these prophecies, but it's also true for the nations. Yeah, He tells the nations, you'll know that you came against the true God, mm-hmm. and you'll know that I'm God. And th- <laughs> that whole thing, like, you say you say that you're God and not a man— Mm-hmm. Wait till people are killing you. Yeah, will they be convinced that you're a god as they're laying your your life down? Yeah, I've always I've always kind of been fascinated at the mental gymnastics that was required, you know, in the ancient world for these, you know, emperors and kings who declared themselves divine. Yeah, and then would die in battle, or of disease, or of old age, or right. often of like poison <laughs> or, and, and or what assassination. Of, what of the people? Who worshipped them as gods, mm-hmm. and then buried them, and then worshipped the next guy as a god. Yeah. And didn't measure to say, hey, you know what? These gods, air quotes. Sure. These gods are uh, sort of living the same life, life cycle as the rest of us. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, you cut them and they bleed. Oh, surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> but but more than that, in, in 28... Uh, some of the talk around this God is is particularly interesting um, in that we have our second description of what many believe to be the story of the fall of Satan. Mm. Um, and so that, that comes in 28, uh, particularly uh, the, the part that is the lament over the king of Tyre when it talks about how he was in the Garden of Eden that he was uh, covered in all of these stones, surrounded by these stones. He was anointed as a guardian cherub. Uh, and he, I placed you, in verse 14, I placed you uh, on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire. Of fire in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. I can't read today. Uh, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. So this is some very celestial talk mm-hmm. for an earthly king. Right. And so this is going to be the other opportunity for people to say, well, this is not an earthly king. This is discussing the fall of Satan. Your thoughts? Yeah. If you kind of carve out those couple of verses, you might come to that conclusion. Uh, but looking at the greater context, just... You know, it doesn't seem to be the case. And we have to we have to keep in mind too that, like the prophets use 
metaphor and hyperbolic language to describe things. That's part of what fits mm-hmm. within the literary genre of prophecy. So describing a place as Eden doesn't necessarily mean that the king of Tyre was literally in Eden, but that the place that God had placed him in power, because we know that all earthly rulers are put there by God, uh, was beautiful, was bountiful, was, yeah. you know, magnificent in, 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 in its, you know, in its abundance. So I, I, I don't see when I, when I look at the greater, when I look at the greater context of this passage, an explicit reference to Satan. Yeah, I, I think what we have is uh, an overlapping of imagery, right? Um, so could these things be true of Satan cast down from heaven? Yes. Sure. Are these things also true of the king of Tyre? Sure. Mm-hmm. And these these are overlapping imageries. It, it doesn't make sense, like you said, for for Ezekiel to be writing to Tyre the lament that God has given them, and then in the middle of that, without any sort of segue or whatever, to just be like, here's another thought that just entered my head. Right. It's the story of Satan and mm-hmm. his fall. Mm-hmm. Back to you. Um, there would be, at minimum, a segue. Most likely, it would just be a different entry. Sure. Uh, and so, so, at best, what we're dealing with is overlapping imagery. And I can grant overlapping imagery. Uh, but I'm with you in that I, I know for a fact that I have taught in the past, just in the way that we parrot, I heard someone say this, it must be true. Uh, someone that I trust, I, you know, you hear someone say things like, uh, Satan was the chief of angels, the most beautiful of angels. Um, this is what he looked like. This was the role that he um, played as the chief of the cherubim. Um, and then he fell uh, because of the pride in his heart and those kinds of things. Um Arguably true. Mm-hmm. Arguably true. There is no place in the Bible that you can go to and say, this is the proof text for that story. Right. And so what we are left with is some degree of reasonable overlapping imagery. Sure. Yeah. And I think for uh, a created being, whether it is an angel or in this case, a human being, who sets themselves up as divine, usurping the role of God, that attitude and that behavior is satanic, mm-hmm. right? Is right is con is in direct opposition to God's sovereign rule. So there there's there's that aspect to it. But um, yeah, there's a lot less, particularly in the Old Testament. There's a lot less that speaks directly to the person of Satan than we have maybe thought. Yeah, that's what I'm finding. I as as we come across these passages, I, I see a f- number of times now. Oh, I don't know if that's actually talking about Satan, and so so something for the reader to to mm-hmm. maybe consider. Yeah, and so uh, we have then the destruction of Tyre, the destruction of Sidon, uh, the destruction of Egypt. Egypt, like Tyre and Sidon, are laid to waste. Yeah, I felt like there was a little bit extra for Egypt. yeah here's my philosophy on that where were the people told not to go Egypt do not flee stay take the punishment that's coming to you and trust in me particularly don't you dare go back to Egypt Mm -hmm. 
And that's exactly where they went, dragging Jeremiah along. And so the destruction of Egypt is also the destruction of the fleeing Israelites. Yeah. So uh, maybe, maybe the destruction on Tyre and Sidon is equal to Egypt, but maybe in my own heart, knowing the case of those fleeing Israelites, maybe I gave it a little extra. Yeah. Maybe that's on me. No, you know what? And even like historically, after after being conquered by Babylon, Egypt never kind of returns to its place of prominence on the right. world stage. Like so, even if we look at the the historical data outside the Bible, like this is true. Thereupon, that's you know passed around, you know conquered by various nations, um, you know whether it's Persia or the Greeks or then the Romans, and they never again become this the center of power in the region because they've just, they get beat so bad. Mm -hmm. And then in 33, Mm -hmm. Ezekiel restates the whole uh, commission that he gets from God to say, I'm going to destroy these people and you're going to let them know why. And if you fail to let them know, their blood is going to be on your hands, but they're going down one way or the other. We talked about that a little more in depth last week but it's restated here in 33. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just sort of a midway through the book reminder that this is the weight of the prophet, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The weight of the prophet in his prophetic word. Um, And then after after the destruction of the nations, we have another call out of the priests. Yeah, judgment on the shepherds. The judgment on the shepherds. And he asks this question that, as a shepherd, as a pastor, is just grounding when he says, does a shepherd feed himself and not the sheep? Hmm. Mm-hmm. He goes on from there. I think it could have been left at that. Yeah. I think that in and of itself is a powerful question. What are you doing? To f- this is not about you, Right. Uh, it throws me straight into John Piper's concept of men. We are not professionals, mm-hmm. right? This is this is my vocation, but it's not a career. Mm. I'm not here to gain prowess and fame and to get raises and promotions, uh, to use small churches to leverage myself to gain a larger church. Right. Um, those kinds of things. Uh, the purpose is not to feed me. Mm-hmm. The purpose is to feed the sheep. That's what a shepherd does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and, and woe to those shepherds that embody this kind of lifestyle and behavior, and they exist. There, mm-hmm. there are many of them in our culture today. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and it's a it's a temptation, right? It's mm-hmm. a common temptation, mm-hmm. right? the The concept of of growing and progressing and moving forward in the same pattern that we see every other profession doing, it's a temptation. Sure. Um, so I appreciated that sober reminder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we get into this now, the, the shift kind of from the tearing down to the building up, you know, in 35, 36, as we begin to see um, there's a promise of a new Davidic king mm-hmm. who is coming. And then in Ezekiel thirty six, even it, we oh. we did this in we did this in uh, in our family devotions last night. It happened to be in the same p- 
passage, uh, even going so far as to say it's David, mm. right? Calls him David. Yep. Yeah. Meaning the seed of David. Right, right. Yeah, and then 36, we get into a, a passage that um, essentially kind of mirrors Jeremiah 31. Right. This promise of a new a new covenant. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, what I love about this is the God explicitly says what his motivation for doing this is. Right. He tells Ezekiel, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Like, he, he lets them know, I, I am doing this because I've got a reputation to uphold, right? My, my mm-hmm. name deserves to be recognized and honored and worshipped throughout this entire world. And so I'm going to do this amazing thing, not because you deserve it, but because because this is how I'm going to demonstrate my own glory. Right. That is that is always God's primary motivator. Not that he doesn't love and care for us. I don't want people to think that like he has no concern for us, but God's primary motivator is his own glory. Period. Yep. So his his love and care for us is also for his glory. Sure. Yeah. He is glorified in that he is a good father. Yeah. A good good father. Yeah. And when we recognize him for that and worship him for that, then he is further glorified. I dropped a Chris Tomlin reference, and you went right over Oh, I, I missed it, man. You did. I'm sorry. We'll back it up and do it again. <laughs> oh. Yep. So uh, in that transition, we get the Valley of Dry Bones. Mm-hmm. Question for you, because I've gone round and round with people over this. Uh-oh. I like putting you on the spot. I know way. you do. I know you do. Is the Valley of Dry Bones an occurrence or a vision? Vision. Because? Because, uh... Let's, let's read, let's read okay, the intro. Okay, okay, okay. The hand of the Lord was upon me, mm-hmm. and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. He, never, he never says, I saw, or in a vision. I think the default is that people assume a vision. Well, you would, you would think that if Ezekiel walked into a valley... And, you know, in obedience to God, spoke to the bones, and all of a sudden, there were, like, thousands of people that just, like, were recreated in that moment. Yeah. That that would be just, I don't know, reference somewhere else. Like, hey, remember that time? Yeah, but how cool if it was. I know, it would be super cool. Let's just, let's just go with it. <laughs> if it's a vision, if it's a vision, it is... A very powerful vision teaching us a message. If it was real, it's an epic moment. It an is. absolutely epic moment that teaches that same lesson. Yeah. And then we also have this great curiosity of what happened to those people. 
were those people filled with souls? Did they walk out of the valley and just be like, I need to get a job? Did they just instantly die back away, right? Was it just flesh and bone and, and no spirit to it, but just sort of momentarily and then returned back to, to bone? Who knows? But I, I don't like throwing it away just as a vision <laughs> because I like the other option better. That's what the, uh, the editors of my study Bible, they just say it's a vision. They just yeah. jump, they go to that conclusion. Yeah, because they want to tie a nice little bow on it. Yeah. I say forget <laughs> the bow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, I'm not going to tell you. As a vision, it's clean and simple. <laughs> but who likes clean and simple? <laughs> Everyone. Um, okay. So, yeah, I mean, and so in this, in this, whether it's a vision or whether it's a, an actual. Or whether it's awesomeness. Event in history. It's still awesomeness if it's a vision. Um, God, <laughs> God is demonstrating this like renewed act of creation, right? This whole idea of like breathing new life into these beings. Like, that's how human beings were created in the garden, right? Mm-hmm. God, God breathed his breath of life into them. Into real human beings. Yes. Yeah. If it, if it's a vision, it's symbolizing people who are dead in their spiritual condition and being brought to life. And new new life being breathed into them, yeah. In the spirit, I yeah. Okay, you're just smart. <laughs> Tim is smiling at me like he's played some kind of trump card on me. Anyways, all right, okay. So we get the Valley of Dry Bones highlight for that's the highlight of, for me of of all of Ezekiel. But let's, just the power of God, right? It's yeah. it's it's Ezekiel's version of Isaiah 11, mm. where he's just had the slaughter of the forest. The symbolic slaughter of the forest in ten, um, but out of the out of the stump, tree laid to waste. Out of the stump, there springs this little bit of life, mm. and that that little leaf growing off of the root. That's the one. Yeah, that's the thing that's going to change everything. Mm-hmm. Right. The shoot from the stump of Jesse. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then we get into a couple chapters uh, about Gog and Magog. Mm-hmm. Gog and Magog, which are referenced back in like early Genesis, these kingdoms that were the king and kingdoms that um, existed and kind of demonstrate the evil powers and nations of the world. Right. And God, in the act of his recreation, is also going to be eradicating the power of Gog. And Coming Gog. from the Northeast? Sure. A lot of dispensationalists love to call this... It's Russia. Russia. It's definitely Russia. This is... this is During Cold War especially, <laughs> fits this the is Cold the War. Soviet Union coming yeah. against Israel. Yeah, it fits the Cold War narrative for sure. Yeah, it doesn't... I mean, Putin might sustain that a little bit, but the fall <laughs> of the Cold War might have had some of that rewritten. I don't uh, know. But no. Yeah, that's a common, that's a common thing thrown out there. Yeah. Russia's Russia's an easy target. I think there's something about a bear in Revelation, and the, their national animal is a bear. Yeah, and then there's the eagle. Oh, U.S. Oh. of A. baby. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. we're, we don't have to get into that. We we'll get into that in uh, in December when we get to Revelation, <laughs> or we won't, <laughs> or we won't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then the, so with that concluded, so essentially, long and short of it is God is going to destroy. He's going to bring low Gog and Magog. And then we get to this final chunk of like nine or ten chapters, this vision of the temple. 
Yeah, so the temple is a very curious thing because in the temple we we have some some questions. Sure. There are there are universally questions about Ezekiel's temple. Mm-hmm. It is in in just the reading of the text, it is the temple to be built in the future. Yeah. In detail. Great detail. So much detail that to to say that the thing is purely an analogy is not satisfying for a lot of people. That's true. Because we're talking like cubits. By the way, for those of you that don't know, the way that I do this podcast thing is I wake up at six o'clock in the morning on podcast days and I listen to the entirety of the week's reading all at once so that I have the full context of the narrative right there together in a nice tidy package for me to process. Mm Analia, my oldest daughter, she's nine. She wakes up way before anyone else in the house, and you always go downstairs, and she's sitting very quietly reading a book. It's sweet as can be. Mm. She came down this morning while I was listening to this, as she often does, <clears throat> and we're listening through, and they're explaining, you know, about this many cubits for this and this, and, and she looks at me, Marshall, nine years old, and she goes, are you listening to Nehemiah? Hmm. And I said, no, this is Ezekiel. She goes, oh, it sounds like they're rebuilding the temple pastoral tear rolling down Man, my that's face fantastic it was <sighs> it was a moment mm-hmm. yeah that's pretty cool yeah so anyway anyway uh dad brag over yep we sure. move on so this temple sounds very much like a temple being built the problem is this is not the temple that they built in Nehemiah. no it's not and it's not the first century temple that they're using in jerusalem uh, at the time of Christ, when he says, I'm going to tear it down and rebuild it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do we do with it? Yeah, yeah. So um, reading commentaries on the book of Ezekiel, I kind of came across this list of four general views on what we can, how we can interpret this. Let me have them. Okay, so the first one is this was a design for a literal new temple that was meant to be rebuilt at the end of the exile. But Israel went about it their own way instead. Yes. That's the argument. Supposedly, yes. So the, so, so Nehemiah, Ezra didn't do what God had told them to do through Ezekiel. That's that view. They, they did a thing, mm-hmm. but not fully the thing that God had intended for them to do. That's, that's what that view would say, yes. The, is that within the character of Israel, historically? It definitely is. <laughs> it definitely it, is. It definitely is, but we don't get that out of, you know, out of Ezra and Nehemiah, right? It seems like they are doing the thing that God has called them to do. Yeah. It doesn't seem like they're being disobedient in rebuilding the temple the way that they did it. Yeah, God never calls them out on it. Yeah, so... So I'm, I would say plausible. Yeah, plausible, but not probable would be my... Sure. Would be my take on that. Uh, view number two... Uh, fairly uh, historically held view um, that essentially this new temple, this new land, this new Jerusalem is fulfilled in the New Testament church so that the the church itself is the fulfillment of all this stuff, of all these measurements and things of that nature. Right. So what do all the cubits have to do with the church? What are these? If these are symbols, Mm -hmm. they are so heavily shrouded mm-hmm. that they cannot be interpreted yeah and at that point what's their value yeah yeah and they're never referenced in the new testament and so it was written 
and this is to fulfill the right. scripture which said right those kinds of things are prevalent in the new testament mm-hmm. none of this yeah again just seems plausible improbable yeah 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 it doesn't doesn't kind of i feel like it doesn't quite meet the quite meet the interpretive necessity to i mean like there's just there's so there's so much content there to mm-hmm. just say oh but then there's going to be a group of people so that's what that means um third view uh literal rebuilding of the temple in israel in the last days right so you know once uh once trump can work out that peace deal on the temple mount then they're going to build this temple right reinstitute animal sacrifice all the holy days the priesthood maybe levites who knows all but all that good stuff that's going to happen right it's kind of a an eschatological view on on what you know people people see that happening and then at that point we will know that the end has come yeah the dispensational view of this that's going to be the trigger yeah that sets everything in motion right and and so if you're not familiar with what a dispensational eschatology is eschatology means the end of time yep the the next things the last things uh, dispensationalism summed up to the point, summed up well enough that you can wrap your head around it, but to a, such a degree that a dispensationalist would pound his head on the table and say, that you sold us short on that. Right, right. We don't have time for that right now. We don't have time for that. That That is its own podcast, not episode. That's its own series. But it's its own, it's its own <laughs> show. Sure. Uh, dispensationalist says two plans for two people. Yep. There is the plan for Israel that is God's eternal plan until the end of time. Mm-hmm. And then at the point of Christ, there is a branch off of that. And so we have the the branch off of the stump of Jesse mm-hmm. and then the st- tree of Jesse continuing on. <laughs> uh, then there is the church, which is a different plan, a different people. Yeah, completely separate. And so what God is doing in the church has nothing to do with Israel. Mm-hmm. And what God is doing with Israel has nothing to do with the church. Yeah. A couple problems with that. couple. Uh, first one, uh, the first century church was primarily Jewish. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, they are they are the bedrock of the church. Every author of the New Testament? All Jewish. Jewish. Yeah. Uh, when, in in Acts chapter 11, when Peter comes back after the gospel, after the gospel has been preached to the Gentiles in Cornelius' house— Mm-hmm. And they have received the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the room is mind blown that a Gentile received the Holy Spirit. Yeah, because they expected this to be. Yeah, they thought the Jewish, church this was is the Jewish heritage. Yeah, yeah, and 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 then you kind of got to disregard a whole lot of the Book of Hebrews, right? Right to to say that like it would be good to rebuild the temple and reinstitute sacrificial systems and Galatians and Galatians, yeah. So there's yeah there's some serious problems with that that third view. I also I also think that it is and I I don't think that dispensationalism is blasphemy. No, 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 no. I'm not a dispensationalist. For the most part I have light disagreements with them. Mm-hmm. This is one that I think is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. The reinstitution to to hope for the reinstitution of the priesthood and animal sacrifice is to diminish the priesthood and the sacrifice of Christ himself. It is. And to say the fulfilled law mm-hmm. ought to be reinstated. 
for mm-hmm. a group of people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have I have serious soteriological problems with yeah, that. Yeah, uh, yeah. God, yeah. God's plan for Israel. If we want to, if we want to, you know, get involved in in that, is this is for them to be saved the same way you and I were saved. Hear the gospel, repent unto salvation. I think that's why Peter was the evangelist to the Jews. Yeah, yeah. All right, and then the final view, because we're we're running short on time here. But the final view is this kind of. Uh, apocalyptic view is what one of the commentators referred to it as. It's symbolizing the reality of God's dwelling with his people, right? The, the, the attention to detail is referencing the perfection of God's plan, the symmetry, how everything fits together, this abiding presence of God that returns and fills the place and the blessings that flow out of that presence, right? The water that flows out of the temple and turns the Dead Sea Valley into this bountiful paradise, almost Edenic kind of place. Um, so that's kind of, it's kind of a more elaborate variation of the second view in some ways. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think when people want to come against that, they'll say things like, well, the book of Revelation says and they saw the new Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. John saw the new Jerusalem and there was no temple, mm-hmm. no need for a temple because Christ himself mm-hmm. was the presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be fair, to be fair, what do I do with Ezekiel's second temple? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm comfortable saying it does not like it, not knowing what to do with Ezekiel's second temple does not stop me from knowing what to do with scripture as a whole. That's true. Yeah. And where it fits in, I believe that is inspired. I believe it is the word of God. Mm -hmm. And I believe that I don't know what the most satisfactory conclusion of it is Mm -hmm. i'm okay with that yeah i think we have to be okay with that sometimes Mm -hmm. particularly with this kind of stuff right with this type of uh text in the scriptures there's there's some there's some mystery to it yeah we can be okay with that highlight highlight for me is definitely um just just the the part about the the shepherds but then the promise of you know god himself being this good shepherd in Mm -hmm. ezekiel 34 who's going to search, he himself will search for his sheep, right? He's going to bring them in. Um, and we see that, you know, played out in uh, in Christ's ministry himself. He refers to himself as the good shepherd. And, and there's all these, you know, parables about the sheep and, and those types of things. And I just found that kind of a nice little nugget of hope uh, in the midst of it. Yeah. And for me, I'd say the Valley of Dry Bones. Mm-hmm. I, I love the times when God takes an opportunity to say, I'm going to make something from nothing. And I'm going to take what you may see as worst case scenario, mm-hmm. and I'm going to breathe life into it. Yeah, It's always encouraging. Yeah. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. Next time, Daniel. Yeah, looking forward to it. Take care. See you.